0: over the next few weeks, somebody shows up to your house and asks you to sing a Christmas carol, Uh, just sing away. We're starting a brand new series called carols uh, for our Christmas theme. And I'm just going to tell you up front, I am internally, I am running about 105 miles an hour. Let me tell you why this morning. um, my, My family, I mean, as soon as I'm done, I say amen. I've got to head to the airport because my wife wants one thing for Christmas. She wants all of her children, her daughter-in-law, and her grandbaby in one place. She really doesn't care if I'm there or not. She just wants her children, her daughter-in-law, and the grandbaby in one place. My goal, my mission, before she left, I took her to the airport yesterday morning about six o'clock, and my mission, my task-oriented brain, my goal, you know, to get the baby boy there, and that's Blake, to get Blake there. So I woke up this morning about 4, I usually wake up about 4, 4.30 and just try to rewrap my mind and my heart and pray about the message that I'd prepared all week, and it's kind of like a little Sunday morning ritual thing I do, and so usually I'm up and going and just, but for whatever reason, I just kind of laid there and just was rereading it, and I fell asleep, and then I woke up and I was a little ticked off, and I'm going, man, if I fall asleep. Everybody else is going to fall asleep in this message too, you know? And so I woke up, and my mission was to get Blake to the airport. His flight was at 7.40. I had to have him there uh, an hour beforehand. So I was going to have him there at 6.40 to the airport. Well, I woke up, and I thought it was 5.15, you know? And I'm still good. We're all right. And it was 6.15 to get him to the Toledo airport, for those of you who live in my sub, I apologize for waking you up, taking out your nativity scene as we, on it. I was doing like 85, you know. That was just out of the driveway. I mean, it was, it was, it was horrible. Literally, I, I promise you, I, I did not know. I, we were going a hundred, I was driving do not do this. Teenagers, I am not endorsing this. I'm just simply saying I was going faster than a man of God should have been going regardless of that time, I was going 105 miles an hour. I didn't know if my little car was going to hang together because it's old, the lab data beat up and that whole thing. And I didn't know if it was going to hang together. And I'm flying, and then Blake is calling, you know, and he said, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, I'm not, I don't think we're going to make it. And so I'm thinking in options and let's, you know, five. so he's on the phone to the airline, and, and I'm going, and they're saying it'd be $1,000 to get the next flight out. Now I'm going $115 down, um, <laughs> Down I-75, you know, and, and just going and and you know you know that turn where you go off 75 and you 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 go off 475. We caught a little air time right there, you know, and and just kept kept going. And so he's calling, we're working it and and I'm praying, and I'm, I'm praying, God, they're going to see a Michigan license tag. They're going to see my Michigan driver's license. And even though I'm the biggest Ohio State fan in the state of Michigan, they're not going to give squat about that. You know, they're just going to see me going now 60 miles over the speed limit, you know, and I'm just, we're just going, and so we get there, his flight is out at 740, we get there at 720, and I'm just, I'm going, run, I hadn't even come to a full stop yet, go, and he said, go, I was like, get out of the car, run, you know, so he runs in there, and the lady, oh my goodness, I'm going to send her a Christmas present, because she was back there and she let him go through at 7.20, got on the 7.40 plane. I, so I make a loop back around. I get out of the car and I go in and I just go, on behalf of my wife, I want to thank you so much, you know, and on thank you for my future health because my wife would have beat me to death if I didn't come there without, without her baby boy. So anyway, now it's like, Going on, by the time I loop around and I do that slow thing to make sure that he's wherever. And I had to give him my phone because he dropped his cell phone in the toilet. And I don't even want that. <laughs> I mean, it was just like this big, you know. And so now I'm driving back home. And I'm pretty sure because of my drive down there, they've got speed traps all over 75. So I go like 60 miles an hour to to compensate, you know, for... For what I did on the way down. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. So by the time I got back home and I had to make one little stop, by the time I got back home, it was about 8 45. They sent Gerard, our church deacon, to look for me because I still was not here at 9 30. I had not bath. I had nothing. You know, I was just like stink wad. I, I couldn't even find my, you know, my, th- I print up my message and the whole thing and Basically, all I'm trying to say is, I'm not really sure what you're going to get in the next little bit, all right? Because Internally, man, I'm, like, I'm still driving 105 miles an hour, you know? And the thing is, as soon as I say amen, I'm heading out the back door. And I love you, but if you got a problem today and you really need to pray and, and you really need to pour your heart out to somebody, God knows I love you, but you're going to have to find somebody else today, all right? <laughs> I'm heading out the back door, jumping in because I got to head back down to the airport to catch a flight because I thought it was flying out later than what it was, but it's now earlier. And then another ice storm is coming through. And so Merry Christmas, everybody, is all I'm trying to say. So we're doing this new sermon series on carols. and We're going to kind of take a Christmas carol because as I've been kind of sequestered in my home the last two days, writing my final two term papers of 20 pages uh, Uh, and, and a bit more, I got to have noise on, you know? Anybody like that? You just can't study if it's quiet. It just is like, you know? And so I had these Hallmark movies on, cheesiest things. Amen? But you, I mean, honestly, if you pay attention once every 45 minutes to the movie, you've got the whole thing figured out. They're not complicated. Well, as I had just kind of watched movie after movie to had it on background noise, I noticed that all of them had this, this familiar theme. You had a cute girl, I guess a hot looking guy, and pretty soon, no matter what it was, the hot guy and the cute girl were going to hook up, you know, fall in love, all because of Christmas spirit. And everything was about Christmas spirit. And we love because of Christmas spirit. And we enjoy our cookies and punch because of Christmas spirit. You feel good because of Christmas. And I kept getting a little ticked off because Christmas is not some nebulous Christmas feel good, feel good spirit. Christmas is a very tangible thing. Matter of fact, when Christmas did come on that old holy night, Mary could touch Christmas. The shepherds left their fields and and looked in wonder at Christmas. The wise men, after following the star almost a thousand miles by night through all kinds of weather and rough terrain, when they saw Christmas, they knelt down and they bowed before him. I want you to understand that when we talk about the Christmas spirit, we're not talking about some nebulous stain that just makes your heart feel good at a certain time of the year. Christmas is wrapped up, bound up in the life of Jesus Christ from his wonderful incarnation to his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? By the way, I'm running 105. If you're going to clap, you better clap at 105. All right? I'm just saying. I, I'm telling you, man, I'm just like, you know. And what was so funny was in the first service, we had the baptisms. And then Rita told me, because, you know, she kind of is the police around here, and she told me what time it was and what time I had, you know, just, she never tells me what time I'm going be done, but she sure makes sure I know what time it is when I start. And, uh, and so it's just like, man, I was just like revved up, so I'm still revved up. So we're going to look at the song, Oh Holy Night. Love the song. Matter of fact, there are more songs than, you know, Here Comes Santa Claus, Silver Bells, Jingle Bell Rocks, and I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. All right. These are songs that have great depth of meaning. One of my favorite ones is Old Holy Night. It's a great song. Matter of fact, I, it, it, you'll, you'll know parts of it, but the song is just has really good meaning. And The song's origin, was, it was written kind of in the mid-1800s, and it's interesting that there was a parish priest who asked a guy in a town who was a poet uh, and a French merchant, And his name is there on the slide. I can't say it. But it is there. And they asked this guy to write. He wanted him to write a song, a poem about Luke chapter 2. That he could read in his homily that he was going to give in his parish. Well, he asked this guy. And this guy, try to say his name. This guy was a scoundrel. I mean, he was a hellbound sinner. This guy was a derelict in the community. Man, he was—he—he—he was, he, 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 was scum. he was an alcoholic. He was a womanizer. I mean, he was everything that Christmas does not represent. And I mean, and so the the parish priest asked him to write a poem about Luke chapter two. So this sinner man writes this poem and he takes the poem and now he goes to a Christian musician and the Christian musician sets the words to music. And we have one of the most beloved hymns that the church has ever had about Christmas. But a few years later when word got out that a sinner wrote this song about Jesus and his birth, There was this big uproar. They tried to squash the song. I mean, man, they tried to, they just tried to kill it. But they, the song already had kind of caught its own wave of popularity. And they tried to shut the song down, but it was too late because it was massively popular. Another interesting fact is that some about 60 years later, after. That song was written and set to music. Reginald Fessenden, who was a 33-year-old Canadian professor who did what many people thought was impossible in his garage on Christmas Eve over the AM band side on your radio. Now, for those of you who don't know what AM is, you know, in your car, it has band, and you have AM, FM, FM1, FM2, FM3. You never make it to the AM side. Well, this was like the first radio. And so on Christmas Eve in 19. Reginald Fessenden the first thing he did is he picked up his Bible opened it to Luke's Gospel chapter 2 and he began to read in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world and then he read the Christmas story Then he took a violin and played into the microphone. And the first song broadcast over the airwaves in the history of the world was this song, O Holy Night. David Sykes is going to come and sing this song to you for those of you who may not know and appreciate its beauty and its meaning.
1: a thrill of hope the weary soul rejoices for yonder So led by light of a star is sweetly gleaming. Here come the wise men from their orient land. The King of kings lay thus in lowly manger in
0: You know, I can only imagine what it must have been like on that holy night when Mary and Joseph rode that donkey into Bethlehem. I mean, picture it. A 14-year-old, probably, pregnant teenage girl, impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God, engaged his spouse to be married to Joseph, who most likely was a teenager as Well. They rode 80 to probably 100 miles on a donkey, or she walked. You talk about walking out a baby, that'll do it to you. And yet when they got there, because Caesar Augustine had issued a proclamation that all the world should be taxed. This taxation was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And the taxation was for two reasons. Obviously, April 15th was, came around a whole lot earlier than what a lot of us were, are used to. It was, came around in Roman history. But it was also uh, a time where they could collect information on the 14-year-olds. They did a census every 14 years. And it was a time where they could collect a census on the young men in the empire. So they could draft them into their army to expand the empire. And so everybody was required under severe penalty to go back to the homeland and to register, declare your age and pay your taxes and all of that kind of thing. And so there was Mary and Joseph going to this little town of Bethlehem, six miles away from Jerusalem. But it might as well have been 100. It was kind of a backwoodsy little town. Not much ever happened there. It was kind of on a on a, on, a, on a road, on a, on a main road, that, that people would come and go from. And so when travelers would come in and the inns were full, and the best that an innkeeper could do was give them the stable, the barn behind the, the inn. Now let's don't over-romanticize this whole manger scene. Because we always picture it with clean walls, you know, Burlap carpeting on the floor. That wasn't it at all. This was a cold, damp place. It was so unsterile. The manger was a trough. Now, I'm not a farm boy, but the manger was a trough. And the trough is where you threw the food on, or what you threw the food on. Sometimes it was hay, and sometimes it was slops. Leftovers from the table, sometimes it was bone they would whatever they would throw it in this trough. That's the manger. Oh no, no, it's this little wooden thing with straw and this pretty white you know thing and and is, have you ever been around a baby being born? We were married three years, and somehow Terry got pregnant, and we had been i had I'd never been to the hospital to. You know, I'd always go see the babies after they're born. I I just thought this was like a 20-minute deal. My wife was in labor over 20 hours with our firstborn child. Oh, man, you talk about being worn out. Man, I was. I'm telling you, I was. (laughs) Man, it was killing me, you know. I didn't know, you know. I mean, you watch Little House on the Prairie, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. These women out on the Pioneer have a baby. They look great. They're smiling, they're laughing, they're joking. My wife didn't watch those shows. Man, it was like this painful event, 20 long hours, you know? It's like, but I tell you, I was... Well, you know, I was good. I was right there. Didn't leave her side. Except go tell people in the waiting room what was going on. Here's what was going on. Nothing. What's that screaming I hear? (laughs) Somebody in the next room, it's okay, don't worry about it, you know. And and it was just this whole, I, I can't imagine the manger scene. I can't even imagine trying to find a dry place in the barn let alone a sterile place. And how in the world did Joseph know how to deliver a baby? I mean, was there a midwife or was it just Mary and Joseph? And I don't know. I'm just telling you, that must have been an incredible event. You talk about two teenagers probably feeling neglected, abandoned, alone. Here they had told the story to, to a few that Mary was carrying the Son of God, you try to explain that to your daddy if you're 14 years old and you're pregnant. Boy, can you imagine how alone they felt? And on that whole All holy night, that was one of the reasons Jesus came. That's why God came in flesh. That's why God came to live among us. So that if you were ever tired and just worn out and you say, Man, and nobody knows how I feel, Jesus goes, No, I know exactly how you feel. If you've ever felt lonely and abandoned and you say, oh, Nobody ever knows how, I, nobody ever, nobody understands how I feel, Jesus goes, I understand exactly how you feel. Man, if you're struggling making ends meet and it's just frustrating, and you go, Man, just nobody understands how I feel. Jesus goes, No, I understand how you feel. You see, when Jesus became God in flesh, it wasn't to live in this pretty little kind of sterile, kind of nothing ever go wrong little environment. He was born in a pig trough, he was born in an unsterile barn. Animals, the cattle, you know, horses and donkeys and the cattle lowing. I don't have no idea what cattle lowing means. You know, we were when our kids were growing up, we would always have this Christmas tradition where we would make sugar cookies and punch, and and we would they would play the piano and we would sing and then we'd read the Christmas story and we had this nativity set and and we would act out the nativity set. My wife was always merry because she was the only woman in the house, and so she was, she was Mary. And, and some years they wanted to be the wise, we called them the wise guys, but they wanted to be the wise guys, the wise men. They, they wanted to be the, you know, the angel or the, the shepherd or Joseph, but nobody messed with Jesus. I mean, Jesus was like his own deal. But I'm telling you, the prize of the night was to be the person to hold the star we had this real little disco ball about that big around, you know, that was a Christmas ornament. And so you would hold the star up and then somebody else would shine a flashlight on it and then you had the joy of spinning it. And we'd reenact this and on our carpet, laying there in our pajamas, man, that just looked like such a clean world to come into. And it was anything but that. Man, it was a time of hopelessness. It was a time of oppression. It was a time of, of spiritual just depletion. And it was into this world that Christmas came. It is into this world Jesus Christ said, I love you so much that I'm not going to be a God who hides from those that he loves. I'm going to be a, a God, a Savior, who walks with the people he loves. And so he did. God became flesh in the form of a tiny baby. Oh, by the way, you guys know me and babies. I mean, I uh, I try to wake them up. I was, Madison and Garrett, I was trying to wake them up before church and just, I pass one and I just rub it, you know, get it out of the car seat, throw it up. That's always fun. New mom. Ah, just kidding, you know, and, He didn't come into a sterile environment. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, not Leviticus, Lamentations. Turn in your Bible to the book of Lamentations, chapter three. Best way I can tell you to get to Lamentations is go to the middle of your Bible and go, right? And you should see names such as Um, Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Isaiah are two big long books. And it's it's a little book right after the book of Jeremiah. It was written by Jeremiah. And the book of Lamentations means to lament. It was a time of weeping. It was a time of, of sorrow. And Jeremiah was writing to a people who had lost everything. Their nation was now overrun. It no longer existed. The tabernacle or the temple built in their capital city, Jerusalem, burned and plundered to the ground. Idols and false gods were now being worshipped in that place. Total desecration. What was going there was an abomination. Abomination. People were ruthlessly murdered for no reason at all or maybe because I had the best of the brightest of of Israel were taken and to Babylon and there they were trying to, to brainwash the best of the brightest of Israel to forget about their culture and their savior and to change their way of thinking and That's where Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And and it was in that setting of hopelessness. I mean, just, I mean, there is not a ray of hope anywhere on the landscape. There's no army of Israel to rescue them because there is no army of Israel to rescue them. There's not a militia. There's not a group. There's not this secret little community. There's absolutely nothing to help them. It was an utter state of loss and disappointment. You know, every week we're going to look at a different song, and I'm probably going to lift out a verse or a, a, a theme from that song. And what I want you to understand from the song, "O oh Holy Night, if there's one line in that song that fits Jeremiah, that fits Luke 2, and probably fits our age today, it would be this line. It's that the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, a weary weary world rejoices sociologists and behaviorists and psychologists have done studies after studies they've consistently found that you can live about 40 days or more without food you can live uh, about half of that or, or a little longer than that without water but they say that w- if you don't have any hope you die within days you've all heard stories about people who were diagnosed with 40, four degrees Stage four cancer, and in three or four days after being diagnosed, they die. And then you've heard about other people, same diagnosis, stage four cancer, and they live eight, nine, twelve, eighteen months. I'm not a medical nothing, but I'm telling you what a lot of people would say in those situations: the difference would have been hope. And so, in this darkness of time, of uh, Lamentations 3 and Luke chapter 2 and then our time where it is a weary world we're in, isn't it? Chapter 3 and oh my goodness you ought to underline, highlight get your pencil out and write these verses down listen to what he says in chapter 3 in verse 20 he says this I will remember them And my soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah saying, I'm going to remember them. What's the them? The promises of God. They got nothing and that's all they had to hang on to was the promises of God. That one day there would be a Messiah that would come. One day there would be a deliverer that would come. One day there would be a savior of the world that would come. And So all of a sudden Jeremiah said, I'll remember them when I'm discouraged. I'll remember God's promises when I'm discouraged. I'll remember what God said. When I'm cast down, when I'm depressed, when I'm disillusioned, man, I'm going to hang on to the promises of God. And what he said in verse 21 and 22 is even more amazing. When you, when you look at what he said, verse 21, it says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He says, everything seems lost, but I'm telling you, you're looking at a man who has hope. When I bring the promises of God back to mind, verse 22 and 23 say, because of the Lord's great love, because of the Lord's great love, for God so loved the world. Because of God's great love, we're not consumed. We're not consumed with defeat. We're not consumed with despair. We're not consumed with disappointment. We're not consumed with hopelessness. We're not consumed. We're not going to give in. Because when I think about God's great love, there is hope in that. Not a Christmas spirit. But the promise that God loves you incredibly. Matter of fact, look at the end of verse 22. It says, for his compassion, his love, his passion for you never fails. They are new every morning. And then in that hopeless moment, I can see that prophet just throw his hands up and says, great is your faithfulness. You're awesome. You're incredible. Wait a minute. They got nothing. Oh no, they still got God's love. They still have God's truth. They still have God's promises. And when you have God's love, God's truth, and God's promises, you'll have God's hope. And he says, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Look at verse 24. Man, it ought to make a Baptist shout. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. And you say, what in the world is a portion? You ever gone to the the table for a Thanksgiving meal or Christmas meal or just any other meal and man, your favorite thing is on the table. Mashed potatoes and gravy, anybody's favorite? Amen. If you wanna fix my favorite meal, it's gravy, eggs, biscuits, and fried apples. You stir it all together and man, it is just like, if you've never had it, I'll cook. I, I'm will not even going to cook it. <laughs> you talk about needing hope after I cook, man. Yeah, I'm telling you. But, but my wife, man, we'll make it for you. It's, it's fantastic. I love it. I was raised on it. I'd have probably been 6'2 if I hadn't eaten it, but I, I, I was raised on it. We're not talking about the portion of food you jump on the plate. Back in the day, if you were a firstborn son, you got the father's portion. If you were the firstborn son, it means that everything that the father has, he gives to you. That's your portion. The portion that you have as the firstborn son is the same portion that the father has. Got the idea? So if you were a secondborn son like me, you know what you get? Nothing. I don't know, you're kidding me, right? No, you get nothing. You know why Jacob and Esau, the twins uh, in the Bible, were so at odds with one another? It's because Esau was born first. He had Jacob's portion. And Jacob ended up... He had Isaac's portion. Jacob ended up with nothing. And so that's why he stole the birthright and tricked him out of his father's blessing. Because the portion... Was the right of the firstborn. Do you understand what this verse is saying? Is that the Lord treats you and I like firstborn sons. In the kingdom of God, there are no second-born sons. There are no third-born sons, fourth or fifth, nor sons or daughters. Everyone is treated as a first-born son. So the entire portion that God the Father has, that he gave to God the Son, God the Son just says, here it is. Here's your portion. You can bank on it. And so Jeremiah said, therefore, because I know God's portion is coming, because I know God's blessing is coming, because I know God's favor is coming, therefore, I will plant my feet down, I'll stand firm, I'll be bold and courageous, I'll be faithful and true, I will wait for him. Understand, he's not waiting for a Christmas spirit. He's not waiting for Jingle Bell Rock." He's waiting for him to come. And when he does come, he brings the father's portion. Are you following this? Here's a man who had nothing and he's believing God for everything. Verse 25, man, it just kind of, or 25, it just kind of wraps it all up. And it says this. It says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him to the one who seeks him. It says the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Man, this has been a tough year for some of you. And man, you just can't wait for January 1 to get here because if nothing else, it'll just feel like a fresh start, won't it? But I want you to know the Bible hasn't changed even though you've had a bad year. The Bible says the Lord is good. He's still been good to those who hope in him. The Lord is good. Oh, by the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian, there's good news for you because you're in that verse too. And to the one who seeks him. So maybe you're here today and you're a believer and it's just been a tough year. And maybe you just need to rewind it back to verse twenty-four. The Lord is my portion; therefore, I will wait for Him. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ is your Savior. You look at Christmas coming up and it's just been such a, a hopeless time, a discouraging time, at a, a disparaging time. You're just kind of waiting for some little feeling to make you feel some little better so that it might give you some little energy to give you some little energy to help you move forward and motivate you and inspire you to do something better, higher, more nobler. And Listen, you don't have to wait for any of that because if you seek Him, the hymn of Christmas, not H-Y-M-N, but the H-I-M of Christmas. If you seek Jesus Christ, that's where you're going to find the true meaning of Christmas. Not in a theology, not in an ideology, not in a philosophy, but in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself became little baby who had to learn to walk just like all of us did, had to have his diaper changed like all of us did at one time, would fall down and give back up, would learn and grow and ask questions. He came, not so you could feel good, but so that you could have your sins forgiven. That's the Christmas message. And he says, if you seek him, He'll take those sins and throw them as far as the east is from the west. Hey, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment? Man, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, man, verse 25, just for you. And he gives hope to those who seek him. And maybe you're not, that. maybe you're the unbeliever in the first part, or the, the believer who just needs hope, just needs to be reminded of God's goodness and God's graciousness. There in the first part of that, that chapter. Maybe it's just been a tough week, tough month, tough year, tough years for you. I'm telling you, your hope is not in this feel-good something. It is in the person of Christmas. And the person of Christmas is not the one you're buying the gift for, but it's the one who came to be the greatest gift for you. And that's Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to take away your sins and to give you hope and everlasting life. And I wonder if you're here, and you're a believer and you love Jesus, but man, sometimes it's just been discouraging around your house this year. It's just been, man, it may have just been a tough go. And you needed to hear just a message on hope this morning. And maybe you just need to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? And then I'd stand firm on those promises. I'd stand and I'd wait for that portion, that, that the scriptures talk about, would you just pray for me? Man, i tell you, there are many times I get raise my hand for that prayer. Just raise your hand, many. Hey, maybe you're here. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that's the point. That's the song. That's the meaning of Christmas. And if you would like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why not right now in your heart pray this very simple prayer, about three or four sentences. But you mean it with all of your heart, and you say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for loving me. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. And I'm going to wait and stand for you. And I'm telling you, if you just prayed that prayer because you were trying to seek a spirit, a motion, an emotion, but you realize now you need to be seeking Jesus and you sought Him. And the thing is, is when you look for Him, He's not hard to find. He shows up. And I wonder if anyone this morning, you just prayed that prayer and you... Raise your hand and say, Pastor Mike, I'm raising my hand. You don't have to say it out loud. If you just raise your hand, man, that'll let me know that you just gave Christ your heart this morning. I wonder if anyone this morning just raise your hand and you can put your hand right back down. Would you stand to your feet
1: with your heads
0: bowed and eyes closed? And let's pray together, Amen. our Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. To give a thrill of hope to a